Hello and welcome to SSI Live. You've long known the Strategic Studies Institute, or SSI, at the U.S. Army War College as the go-to location for issues related to national security and military strategy with an emphasis on geostrategic analysis. SSI conducts strategic research and analysis to support the U.S. Army War College curricula, assist and inform Army, DOD, and U.S. government leadership, and serve as a bridge to the wider strategic community. Now we're bringing you access to SSI analyses, scholars, and guests through this, the SSI Live podcast series. Thanks for joining us. Hello and welcome to this edition of SSI Live. My name is John Denny, and I'm a research professor of National Security Studies here at the Strategic Studies Institute, or SSI, at the U.S. Army War College. It's Monday, January 10th, and today I wanted to speak to you about the unfolding situation in Ukraine. This week, negotiations will begin between the United States and Russia, NATO, and in the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, or the OSCE. These negotiations are meant to address the destabilizing buildup of military forces outside Ukraine by Russia. By some estimates, there are well over 100,000 Russian troops now massed near the borders of Ukraine, to its north, its northeast, and down in Crimea. The negotiations this week are meant to address the buildup of those forces and the destabilizing impact it is having on European security. There are some observers of Russia here in the West who believe that an invasion is quite likely. I'm not so sure that an invasion is likely. The cost of a full invasion for Russia impressed me as astronomical compared to those associated with annexing Crimea and maintaining the simmering conflict in Donbass. And I think Putin probably realizes this. I therefore think it's likely that much of the military moves we've seen over the last few months, really since last spring, in terms of this ongoing buildup, are posturing, designed to get us, the U.S., to the negotiating table, which is in itself a means of strengthening Putin's domestic standing. As you may know, his popularity has dropped somewhat significantly in the last year, in large part due to the stagnated Russian economy, uh, the rampant COVID uh, pandemic there, the poorly performing Russian vaccines, and an overall economy that's still mired or based upon resource extraction. We in the West, of course, cannot make the challenge of Russia completely disappear, and we, we shouldn't try. However, as I argued in my book on NATO and Article 5, I think what we can do is try to reduce the salience of Russian power, making it more difficult and costly for Putin to threaten vital Western interests on a whim. And when I refer to Russian power, I mean it's hard power, it's soft power, and really everything in between. Economic sanctions are a means to that end. They reduce Russian power over time, and they create negotiating bargaining chips for later use. Limiting Putin's access to President Biden in summits does the same to some degree. And so I'm glad to see that the negotiations that will begin this week will occur at well below the level of uh, the president, even below the level of the Secretary of State. I'm also very glad to see that we're insisting on multiple venues. That is, negotiations taking place bilaterally between the U.S. and Russia, but also, as I mentioned, between Russia and NATO, and in the much broader multilateral OSCE. I suspect, though, that Russians will only view the bilateral dialogue as the one that really matters. Now, once this process gets underway this week, I think we in the West should do everything we can to lengthen the timeline of any negotiations. Drawing out the negotiations will increase the cost of trying to maintain that buildup. Now, more specifically, I think as we begin these negotiations this week, 
the West needs to maintain a hard line on giving in to Putin's many demands. Of course, aiming for diplomacy makes great sense, at least as the opening effort to try to reduce tensions. I think this approach, the diplomatic approach, clearly reflects the Biden administration's preference when it comes to national security. It's obvious the administration prefers to lead with diplomacy, but it also helps the West to try to avoid inflaming the situation and escalating at this point. As we know, any Russian-Ukrainian war is likely to be bloody for the combatants. It'll probably result in a wave of refugees heading west, and it'll further destabilize an already precarious regional security situation. Nonetheless, I think as the diplomatic efforts unfold this week, there are really good strategic reasons for maintaining that hard line. I think rather than help Putin to back down from the position he staked out, I think the West ought to stand firm, even if it risks another Russian invasion of Ukraine. We know that Russia's efforts to destabilize and undermine the Ukrainian government over the past several years haven't really paid off for Moscow. Instead, they've pushed Ukraine further to the West. Ukraine's used this time to build up its military capabilities, build up its capacity. It's strengthened its economic ties with other European countries, and it's improved its economy overall. So it's unclear why Putin has chosen this moment to demand assurances, for example, that Ukraine won't become a member of NATO or the EU. It's possible the Kremlin thinks that time just isn't on its side. As I mentioned, the last few years have seen Ukraine drift further to the West. It's possible Putin may be interested in trying to stem the uh, continued improvement of ties between Ukraine and the West. Or... Putin might assume that Washington is more willing to accommodate Russia's demands today, given the intensifying U.S. rivalry with China. Or it's possible that Putin is indeed trying to bolster his declining public support with a nationalistic foreign adventure. Regardless of what has motivated Mr. Putin to this point, I think he's placed the West in a reactive mode, and clearly the West is hoping to avoid a war that could result in tens of thousands of casualties. We can, we can assume that any Russian invasion of Ukraine, a full-scale war between the two, it's going to result in death and destruction that far outpaces what we have seen in the limited conflict in Donbass, where as many as 13 to 14,000 have died since 2014. But I think the price that Mr. Putin is demanding for turning down the heat is really anathema to our Western values of national self-determination and sovereignty. Moreover, a NATO-Russia agreement preventing Ukraine from seeking membership would violate the 1975 Helsinki Final Act. Now, this was an agreement on security and cooperation across Europe. It was signed by Moscow, and it noted specifically that European states had the right to belong to any international alliance they choose. So Putin, therefore, appears to me to have staked out quite a risky position here. He's asking the West to give in on things that are pretty sacrosanct, uh, pretty important to the West. I think in the best case, if the West can somehow force Mr. Putin to back down, he'll lose face domestically and internationally, even if his state media spins this as a victory or claims the buildup was some kind of a military exercise. But in the worst case, if the West does maintain a hard line and Putin as a result invades Ukraine, I think Russia is going to suffer some pretty serious long-term and even debilitating costs in three different ways. First, another Russia invasion of Ukraine would clearly forge an even stronger anti-Russian consensus across Europe. Although the EU has shown really a remarkable degree of solidarity in maintaining its limited sanctions since 
the Russian invasion of Ukraine in 2014, there are cracks in this evidence, in this edifice that are evident today. First, Germany's new left-leaning government hasn't yet found its footing on Russia. And we know that the new government, which is led by the Social Democrats, uh, this government may lean more toward trying to mollify uh, Russia. The SPD has a long history of uh, trying to seek accommodation with Russia through what is known as the Ostpolitik, or the, the, uh, the Eastern effort to reach out to the East and Russia specifically. Meanwhile, Italy, Austria, Hungary, and even France have shown a willingness to consider opening up to the Kremlin in recent months and years, despite the fact that Russian forces remain in Donbass and the Russian annexation of Crimea. NATO's attention, meanwhile, has been really split over the last couple of years between those who want the alliance to focus mostly on Russia, on the one hand, and those who want the alliance to instead focus on instability and insecurity from across the Mediterranean to the south and southeast on the other. Now, if Russia does indeed invade Ukraine, that is very much going to focus minds and efforts within, within NATO specifically. Now, second, a Russian reinvasion of Ukraine would likely result in another round of more debilitating economic sanctions. Now, some of these were previewed this past weekend by the United States. So, for example, disconnecting Russia from the tools of global finance and investment, such as the SWIFT banking payment system, would make it difficult for Moscow to earn money from its oil exports. Similarly, a ban on Western institutions trading of existing Russian debt in secondary markets would limit Moscow's ability to finance development, including in the energy sector. Over time, a stronger, more effective round of sanctions would hasten Russia's economic decline relative to the West, reduce its power overall, and I think make it even more expensive for Putin to intimidate and destabilize his neighbors. Third, another Russian invasion of Ukraine even if militarily successful in the short run, is very likely to spawn a guerrilla war in those areas of Ukraine occupied by Russian forces. This will sap the strength and morale of Russia's military, while also undercutting Mr. Putin's popularity at home and reducing Russia's soft power abroad. If Russian forces enter Ukraine again, to be clear, Kiev is probably going to lose the war and the human toll will be extensive. Now, of course, nobody wants this to happen. But I think it's also clear the long-term damage suffered by Moscow would be substantial as well. Seemingly impetuous, Mr. Putin has maneuvered his way into what I think is a very risky strategic position. And I think the West, starting this week, ought to leverage the Kremlin's mistake and drive a hard bargain in the diplomatic efforts that will be unfolding. You can now find SSI Live on TuneIn Radio and on popular podcast directories like Stitcher and at the iTunes Store. If you have any comments on our podcasts, thoughts on what you'd like to see addressed, or a response to something you heard here at SSI Live, please go to our website. That's ssi.armywarcollege.edu. Find me, John Denny, in the staff directory, and send me an email. I look forward to hearing from you. For the SSI Live podcast series, I'm John Denny. Thanks for listening.